Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is back. Hey! He is back stateside, and he's actually working. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm under the bus and I'm being rolled over. Uh, but it's good to have uh, Eric back on the podcast uh, after his two-week hiatus. Uh, we are both in Los Angeles for, uh, we're just wrapped up Oregon's session of media day ahead of the two th- ahead of the 2020 Rose Bowl which is the 106th Rose Bowl in bowl game history the Ducks number uh, six in the country taking on the Wisconsin Badgers who are number eight in the country uh, and the granddaddy of them all and I think this is just kind of like this is the season that I think you and I kind of envisioned that this team would have they they would have a, a year in which they were in the playoff hunt. They they looked like a playoff team, uh, and they finished the year kind of wondering could they have competed a little bit better than some of the other teams that have made the playoff, in particular Oklahoma. But at the end of the day, they're in the Rose Bowl with a chance to, to finish in the top five of the college football season rankings at the end of the year. I actually asked Diamond Lenore if if he thought they would have fared a little better than Oklahoma, and he said it's kind of painful to watch because he was kind of going like, yeah, I think we could have, we could have played those guys a little better. But um, certainly that's in the back, I'm sure, of a lot of Oregon fans' minds right now, um, just of if they beat Arizona State and they hold on to that win. They're not playing in this game, and maybe they're playing in a, in a, you know, in, in a national championship game in a couple of weeks. But this is one heck of a consolation game. Um, being down here and, and, you know, just there's a lot of buzz you know, maybe it's because we're in the hotel where they've got all the Oregon right. and Wisconsin stuff plastered everywhere. But it feels like a really a, a, a significant game and a big game, and, and I, I'm really just excited to see um, how they respond. And, and this is a tough matchup with Wisconsin, but one that and I just wrote about it on the site earlier today. That's kind of similar to Utah. At least, I mean, obviously, no two teams are identical, but like in terms of just big, strong up front ability to run the football. Um, that's kind of the way both those teams are constructed. And I think the way Oregon fared against Utah earlier this month, you have to feel at least somewhat optimistic about how they can handle a Wisconsin team, which is, I think, every bit as equal to Utah, um, probably a little different. I mean, Jonathan Taylor, statistically, like, you look at the numbers. 1,900 yards rushing. He's run for, like, 6,000 yards in three seasons. It's absolutely absurd. He's back-to-back, Doak Walker winner. Um, stat that I came across today, just looking through the numbers, he has more 200-yard rushing games in his three seasons than games where he's rushed for less than 100 yards. He has yeah, 12 games with over 200 yards rushing and eight in his entire career. He's been under 100. Um, that's a big, big task trying to slow him down. But um, man, it's going to be fun. You know, I'm, I'm really excited to, to kind of see what this team has, and given the fact that there's going to be some key seniors that this is their last games, there could be a couple of underclassmen that maybe this will be their last game too. Um, there's a lot on the line here, and I, and I think it's going to be a really, really fun football game, and I think it's going to be a competitive game, and then we'll talk about that more later in the podcast. Yeah, that's you, you touched on the fact that this is the final game for a lot of of these players, and, and quite honestly, uh, Oregon's most recognizable names mm-hmm. 
and players that have you know meant so much to this team for the last four years. It's the last game for Justin Herbert. It's the last game for Troy Dye. It's the last game for four of the of the five starting offensive linemen, three of which have been four year starters. Yep. Last game for Lamar Winston, who's been you know a, a starter for his last three years out of Oregon. Um, you know, depending on matchups, dictates when he starts or doesn't start. But right. he's he's one of Oregon's you know starting linebackers, and there's so many guys on this team that have gone through so much. And I think it's only fitting that uh, this game is going to be how their careers at Oregon end. And that's kind of been what's been discussed quite a bit from this group uh, of upperclassmen uh, since they've arrived in Los Angeles. Of you know, this is a point in time in which their careers are ending, and that yet they have an opportunity to honestly, like, if they win this game, it's going to go down as one of the ten most important wins in program history. I, I have to think. I mean, in that, yeah. I mean, in that discussion, I mean, that's another debate for another time. But right. you know, just the importance—that's how much that this game carries for the importance of of the program and, and for guys lasting legacies you know at Oregon. And I think you look at it too and say if they if they do beat Wisconsin on Wednesday, you look at this season in its totality as one of what the three or four best seasons in program history. Obviously the two years they played in the championship are, are better and there were a couple other seasons they really lost just one time. But um, a Rose Bowl win, winning the conference, winning eight out of nine conference yep. games, uh, I mean those are things that don't happen all that frequently. Having um, I, I look at the roster. Like Herbert's going to be a first-round draft pick. You got Penny Sewell, who's locked in as a, probably a top-three pick in a couple of years when he comes out. Came on Thibodeau, same kind of thing. From a talent perspective, this is also probably one of the more talented teams Oregon has had, you know, historically too. So um, I, I know people kind of look back to that 2011 to 2014 run when they were competing for national championships seemingly every every season. Um, but this season, I think, is kind of right up in that. If they win this game. Can be kind of looked at right up in that kind of that same that same uh, you know token in terms of just man they accomplished a ton this season and uh, and what a ride it has been in terms of that you, know, you lose the opener against Auburn and what a devastating way that is to start a season you rattle off a bunch of wins you lose another heartbreaker to Arizona State but if you're able to go out and win a Rose Bowl which doesn't happen very often it'll be a third Rose Bowl win um, for for Oregon this all, decade all this decade which is pretty darn special. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think this game carries a ton of significance. Um, into Where, where's your, your confidence level in this one? Because I go back, and this is, it, it feels like the easy approach and the easy comparison, but this is a better Utah team. Yep. yep. And it, who Oregon is playing in Wisconsin, they're basically Utah, but they're better, you know, up front, they're, they're probably not better at quarterback, but... No. You know, but they're certainly better at running back. Running backs were the definitely better. You know, Troy I said that you know, there's no denying it. You know, Jonathan Taylor is the best running back in the country, and he's proven it two years in a row by winning the Doak Walker Award two years in a row. There's you, there's no way around that. He's the best running back in college football the last two seasons, and he's on this this year's team. Uh, and so I, I I go back and I think though this is a game that's I think you know it's pretty easy for Oregon. Like hey. Just replicate what you did against Utah, and you're going to win this football game. And that's and now it's easier said than done because this team is really good. Uh, but I, I think it goes back to can Oregon make Utah or Wisconsin throw the football? And it's going. I think at least early on, it's going to be load the box and 
and force the Badgers to throw and see if they can loosen up that duck defense. And if they can't, then Oregon's going to consistently just stack the box and blitz and and kind of corral Jonathan Taylor. But yeah. I, I think going into this game, that you know the confidence level that I have in Oregon is is actually pretty high. Like I was talking to someone else that that covers the team, and we were we were talking about how. Like, this is a matchup that Oregon likes. This is the matchup that Oregon wants. They don't want a team that's going to go four or five wide every single down and spread you out and and, and you know, play basically one-on-one football. They want – Oregon wants that telephone booth-style football where everything's played between the hashes. And to me, this is the exact type of game that Oregon can win. And, and, and I think they have the better athlete. And so – Maybe, maybe even convincingly win. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a, a, cl- a close game. I think it's going to be competitive. I just think the way Wisconsin plays, um, barring a game where they make a ton of mistakes, and actually I was looking through their stats, and I'm surprised they've actually lost more fumbles. And that makes sense because they do run the ball, obviously, a lot more than, than some teams do. But they've lost more fumbles than all but one team in the country this year. They've lost 13 on the season. Um, maybe if that's maybe if it's a game where they, they fumble the ball a lot, they lose... Momentum because of that, and they can't, you know, piece together possession after possession. Oregon's able to pull away. I just think this game is going to be really competitive. I, I do think Oregon has to be going into this game with a little bit more confidence, just because of how dominant they were against the Utah team, which I think both of us are agreement uh, is pretty similar to this Wisconsin team. I know it's not, you know, a perfect comparison, but um, I, I think for Oregon, yeah, I think it's can you. Can you make Wisconsin do what it doesn't do well, which is play from behind? Can you build a lead early? Yeah. I think the first quarter is going to be really pivotal pivotal in this game because like if Oregon comes out, they can't stop Wisconsin, and then Oregon can't move the football effectively, then Wisconsin gets a lead and they're able to play their game from it with the lead, just kind of like what Oregon did against Utah not that long ago. But if it goes the opposite way and Oregon's able to get momentum like they did against against Utah, Wisconsin's going to have to throw the football. And we've seen this season, that's not something that particularly comfortable doing. And to me, that would be advantage Oregon for sure. Um, also, some news and notes that have come out of football practice this week. Uh, Mario Cristobal has basically come out and said that Pittman is expected to play. He hasn't officially said yes as of this recording. Um, we're doing this 1, 1, 1 p.m. Uh, on the on the 30th. He will speak with the media on the 31st, 8 a.m. in the morning. So, you know, we'll get some clarity there. We'll ask Pittman if he's available or not. But just um, he has said that he has practiced the last three weeks. We've seen him at practice that we've gone to here down in the Rose Bowl. He has a slight brace on his right arm that he broke against Arizona mid-November. But uh, all signs are pointing to Pittman playing in this game. How, how, how much do you think his, either A, his in, inclusion in the game, or his if he misses the game would impact things for Oregon? Like, I think, big I think his, if he missed the game, it's not really going to change much because Oregon's kind of who they are right. without him already. We've kind of already established and seen what they've done. and you know, They beat a Utah team defensively that's pretty good without him. Yeah. Uh, and you know, they played some other teams early in the year without him. I think his inclusion is only going to be a benefit for this team. And, and it, it probably will serve more as a decoy in, in reality than, you know, it, I would be pretty shocked if Pittman showed up and all of a sudden has like nine catches for 140 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, but I, I think more so it's just the threat of a playmaker 
And there's no there's no denying he's one of the team's best playmakers yeah. on the team. And so having that guy out there with a red, with a you know Johnny Johnson and a Jawan Johnson and a Spencer Webb, all of a sudden you've got five. You know you go five wide for whatever position, and, and all of a sudden you've got a, a group that's pretty formidable. But I I think he's going to be more of a decoy than you know a serious impact player. It would be cool, though, if he does play a pivotal impact in this game, just because I you think everybody knew going into the season he was expected to be a big part, and the fact that he's had to overcome two pretty significant injuries over the course of a season, um, if he were to come out and, and have some big plays um, on Wednesday, I think that would be a pretty darn cool narrative, especially looking ahead to, to life without Justin Herbert next year, if he can kind of develop himself into a key part of the passing game. That would be huge for, for kind of what they're trying to do going forward. Now, there's also a discussion of... We know it's the last game of the year for Herbert and Die and various offensive linemen. Yeah. Um, there's also, is this the last game uh, for a guy like Thomas Graham or Diamond Lenore or Jordan Scott or Austin Folio? All four of those guys have submitted NFL paperwork and have all received uh, their draft advisory recommendations from the NFL's draft board committee. Uh, grades are given out. First round, second round, go back to school. Uh, and so far, all four of them have kind of, I think basically three or four have said what their grades were, and uh, one of them hasn't told us what the NFL told them. Uh, but it, it doesn't sound like any of those guys have made a concrete decision on what they're doing uh, going into the game, at least yeah, publicly. No, I spoke with both Fallu and Lenore about the process, and both of them basically said, I'm making the decision after the game and I'll announce it. So for anyone who's sitting here waiting, you know, before the game for something to be said, don't 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 wait. It's not going to happen. I don't think we're going to hear anything until I would guess sometime this weekend once they get a little time away from 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 the game and, and probably meet with their families. Uh, I would guess guys like Lenore and Fallu, honestly, almost all those guys besides Jordan are from the you know the LA area. They'll probably stay down here for a couple of days and, and kind of make some decisions. Um, it'll be interesting to see what comes from that. I think. This defense looks set up for 2020 to be really, really good. But if you take away you, arguably your two best defensive backs, at least your two best corners, and then two of your best defensive linemen, that really could change some things. And I would also wonder what the recruiting impact. I'm sure Crystal Ball and company already have some contingency plans in place for if they lose, you know, two, one, two, three, or somehow all four of those guys. I, I would be surprised if that's the case. But um, certainly something to be keeping an eye on. Um, as we kind of move th- through January, um, real quick, Matt, who, of those four guys, like which guy do you think would be the one Oregon like would have the greatest impact going for next year in terms of if they lost a guy? Which which guy do you think have the biggest impact? Yeah. Well, I think I think having Michael Wright and Verone McKinley kind of emerge this season um, at cornerback will all four of them will have a, a significant impact on the defense. But I think Oregon's probably better suited with Wright and McKinley uh, being on this team next year. Uh, the defensive line, they already lose Drayton Kralberg. They yeah. already lose uh, Gus Cumberlander. They already lose Bryson Young. Um, Gary Baker has been a rotation Sionic player. Baba. Yeah, so they're already losing a, a, a chunk of players. So I think if, if Jordan Scott went pro or if Austin Falia went pro, that's where it would be felt the most because – Kayvon Thibodeau's back next season. DJ Johnson's back next season. Popo Omave uh, is back next year, and that would, you know, that would probably be your your three guys. I would think 
uh, and then you've got Brandon Dorless and Christian Williams and Keon Ware Hudson uh, that are all on the team, and and also uh, Pepe on on you know defensive tackle, but Pody Pody, sorry, yeah, um, but that's a pretty big ask for those those freshmen to you know all of a sudden become you know all of them to become you know key guys. I think yeah. it's it's fair to ask, hey, two of those four. Are gonna have to are have to you know become go to guys next year for Oregon, but to ask all four of them, um, that's a pretty tall order to ask. So I think if I think if Jordan Scott went pro or Austin Folio went pro, that would probably be where it would be felt the most, uh, just because of the D line's already losing a lot of bodies. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that because I just think you look at it and go like you'd hate to be in a situation where you like okay you bring back Thibodeau who's a cornerstone of the program going forward, but you'd lose basically every Everybody other knows. player. From that group, um, that would be a lot to ask coming into next year, especially with what they brought in this recruiting class, which are some really good players. But you're being asked to, to really replace an awful lot, um, and you start the season with some really really big games next year. So uh, you want to be as well equipped as possible. And I think I was looking at the numbers. The way Folio has played down the stretch this season, like he has over half of his tackles in the last three, yeah. three games of the season. So he's someone who's playing at an awfully high level. Um, and so I know maybe he's a name that you weren't expecting to see in some of these. Uh, you know, these, these, the possibility of going pro early, but like, I, I don't know, don't be shocked. Maybe if he has a really big game against Wisconsin, maybe he's, he's critical, critical in, in slowing down Jonathan Taylor if, if he's not a guy that really takes a hard look at this and, and makes a decision. Yeah, I mean, Folio's, look, he, he came in, I think, to the year with a lot of hype as a guy that was going to kind of explode and become an all Pac 12 caliber guy. He certainly didn't show it the first half of the season, and then now, like you said, the last five games, He's been on a tear, and maybe we've seen it before. Guys capitalize on some late-season momentum, and maybe he catches fire, and an NFL team is willing to take a chance on him on a third-round pick or a second-round pick or a fourth-round, and he's okay with that. I mean, Dylan Mitchell last year did it, you know, for a whole season, granted. Yeah. You know, but he he was a guy that, that felt like he, he, he's shown enough and went. Um, so we'll see what happens there in terms of guys who are going pro, Early on, uh, we certainly have some guys that are going to be playing their last games as well. Uh, we're going to be doing some features after the game is over uh, on some of these underclassmen or next man up type deals on replacing some of these key starters. So keep an eye out for that as well. Um, let's take a quick break. and we come back, we'll make our five bold predictions uh, for this football game going into the Rose Bowl. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Frame, Eric Scopel with me. Uh, five bold picks, and then we'll make our score predictions 
for this game. I've got my predictions already in, so I'm not changing it. Ooh, you've written them down. I've, I've written them down. This is big. It's big. Uh, I'll start with five bold picks. Uh, I'm going to start with Justin Herbert. He's going to have a 300-yard passing game or better. Uh, I think he's going to throw three touchdown passes in this football game. And he's going to walk off the field with one of his best games that he's ever played at Oregon. Uh, and I think this whole season it was kind of like, what is his, what is his signature win? What has he right. done at Oregon? What's his what, what is his legacy going to be? And he's going to walk off playing one of his best games and claiming uh, potentially one of the best wins uh, in, in his career at Oregon. And I, I think everyone's going to look at this game and go, that is why the NFL is so intrigued by him because he's going to play, I think, uh, a pretty pretty good performance for, for uh, Herbert's status. You know, and then talk about the legacy thing, but if he finishes the season winning the conference, winning the Rose Bowl, um, that's certainly going to be something where you look back at his career and go like, okay, maybe he had some moments where he wasn't that great. I know he inherited some really rough spots, but the fact that he finished so strong and really was key in turning this program around, and we don't know what the 2020 decade it has for this program. I think we're both optimistic it's going to be a really strong yeah. decade. You look at the recruiting classes, you look at the talent coming back, you look at the coaching staff. Um, I, I think Herbert, you know, his legacy could be the guy who kind of got it turned around and finishes um, with a Roseville win. I actually had for my second one, literally word for what you just said, I <laughs> Herbert passes for over 300 yards and three scores. Um, uh, I think that's notable because Wisconsin, looking at this, is 15th nationally against the pass. So they're pretty, they're pretty decent in that regard. Um, but I just think Oregon has better athletes on the outside, yes. and I think they're going to win some matchups there. I agree, I agree with a lot of what you said, and I think Herbert knows how much this game means. I think he's going to be – I think you're going to come away from this game going like, Herbert was the best player on the field in that game. That's kind of my bold prediction of like, you're going to come away going like, a lot of talented players, a bunch of NFL scouts are going to be here wanting to watch a lot of really good players, but I think Herbert's going to be the most impressive player. Over Sewell? In, in this game, just in terms of looking at it from a microcosm, okay. I think Sewell's going to be drafted higher. Okay. Players. Uh, go ahead. You're number two. Oh, number two. Um, not that bold, but Jonathan Taylor does not rush for over 200 yards. Oh! He does not get to 200 yards, which, he, like I said, he's done in 12 out of 40 games in his career. Um, four out of 12 this season, he's had over 200. He also had a couple 300-yard games. Um, I also don't think he's held under 100 yards, so he kind of... He's going to be somewhere in that. Average? Yeah, it's going to be like his average game. <laughs> Which is just ridiculous yeah, He's going to look like 150, and people are going to be like, they really stopped him. Um, but, like, I, I think this is a game. I think you mentioned this on the bus right when we were coming back. Of like, I think he's going to run for, like, 140 yards, but it's going to be on, like, 40 carries. Because I think he is kind of the entire the entirety of what they do offensively, and I, he's going to be heavily involved. And I, I just think they're going to find ways to slow him down, and I, and I do think, obviously, he's going to have some success. He's too good not to, uh, you know. Statistically, I was looking at this. If he were to come back for a senior season, he would absolutely he would absolutely shatter the all-time rushing record, which is currently um, at 6,400 yards by uh, Donald Pumphrey a couple years ago at San Diego State. Um, he has 6,000 right now coming into this game. If he were to come back for a senior year, he could be somewhere in the 8,000-yard range, so he'd be like 1,500 past everybody. I don't expect Oregon's defense to shut him down entirely, but I do think they do enough. Um, that, that kind of forces Wisconsin to, to kind of make some changes late in this game. All right, so for my second one, sticking with Jonathan Taylor, I think we're a little different here. Uh, he's had four career games where he's gone over 30 carries uh, in his three years. He's had a career high of just 33. Um, for as much as they run the ball, that kind of surprised me. Yeah. Uh, and how much they rely on one running back. I figured he would have he would have had at least a game where he, he goes for 40 carries. Uh, but I, I think 
uh, in his career. I, I think he has a career high in carries for for the Badgers in his career. It's meaning he's going to go over 34 carries in this football game. I also think he's going to go over 180 uh, okay. on the ground. I'm not 100% going to be out there saying he's going to hit 200. Um, it's not going to surprise me. But I think he's going to have one of his lower rushing totals per per carry, per carry. Okay. That, uh, that he'll have on the year. Um, I, I just don't see him having those 89-yard touchdown run or that 70-touchdown run or that 50-yard touchdown run that he is so famous for doing um, and ripping off these huge chunks of yardage. Because the one thing that I think that has been the most notable thing for Oregon's defense this season is their ability to rally to the football. They've done a really, really good job of preventing the big play. And so I, I think uh, Jonathan Taylor is going to go over one over 170 in this game. Um, but I don't think he's going to he's gonna have this just explosive performance. He's going to get those yards because he's going to carry the football so many times. And it's going to be difficult for, for him to, to really get some kind of, you know, push an explosion play uh, against Oregon's defense. Oregon's defense against the run has allowed just one run over 40 yards all season. Yeah. Um, that's tied for best nationally. Um, I, I'm kind of on board with you. I just don't I don't see them rattling off a couple 50, 60-yard runs. It just hasn't happened this year. Sometimes crazier things have happened. Obviously, look at the Arizona State game, and there's Arizona State threw the ball around the field in a way that Oregon hadn't allowed all season as well. Um my third one, I think Oregon forces three, three turnovers in this game. And I, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast. I was kind of surprised looking through it. Wisconsin has, I think, they're 127th nationally in fumbles lost this season with 14. And they're also dead last in terms of fumbles that they've given up. Obviously, they recovered some of them um, with 25. So this is a team that does turn the ball over a little bit. They also have eight interceptions. They, they rank not, they're not that highly regarded nationally in terms of turnover margin. Oregon, on the other hand, is one of the top teams enforcing turnovers. I think, I think it ends up being critical in this game because the way Wisconsin plays and their ability to just hold on to the football and kind of milk the clock and, and, and have these long drives, I, I think Oregon's ability to, to force some turnovers to get Wisconsin kind of out of sorts will be critical, and I think they're going to do that. I think three turnover uh, is what I'm expecting, and I think I think Taylor's going to have one of those, maybe not more than that. But I think I think they're going to force some turnovers, and I think that's going to be pivotal in how this game plays out. Troy Dye needs 12 tackles to get 400 career tackles in his his career at Oregon. Uh, I, I'm putting him over 12. He Ooh. had 15 uh, week one against Auburn, which was a career high for him. Yeah, he goes 16. Because I, I think, look, I said it before, John Taylor's going to get the ball a ton. Yeah. This team runs the ball a ton, even if John Taylor isn't the one carrying the football. And I think Dye is going to have, just like Herbert, look, this is, we're in Hollywood, right? Yeah, it's, where we are. Just a total signature moment. And Dye's going to save one of his best games in his career for last. And he's going to walk off the football field, I think, as the defensive player of the game. And he's going to win that hardware, and he's going to have over 16 tackles uh, and be basically everywhere Jonathan Taylor is in this football game. That'd be, that'd be what a great way for him to finish his career if that's the way it plays out, and I do think he's capable of doing that. My fourth one, a true freshman will score a touchdown. Ooh. Um, strangely, in my head, I'm thinking... Offense, defense, special teams? All of it. Each, all three. Wow. Yeah. No, <laughs> three touchdowns, no. Uh, 
Strangely, in my head, I've got this weird feeling it's going to be Kayvon Thibodeau and some weird touchdown. I think I think he, you know, and I, I I didn't include this in my little write up before, but I'm thinking about. It. I, I think he's going to have a big game for some reason. And I know it's kind of runs counter to like the way Wisconsin plays, but I do think at some point Wisconsin's going to be forced to try to throw it to kind of keep pace yep. with Oregon. And I couldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if he has like a strip sack and picks it up and runs it for a touchdown. But I think a true freshman is going to score, and I think that true freshman play is going to be pivotal in this game. And again, it's going to point to the fact that. This this program has has recruited at such a high level, and they're getting such comp- contributions from some of the younger guys. I think one of those guys has a big play in this game that that kind of sets Oregon up for the win. One I almost included this too in mine. His goal he said earlier this week, uh, Rose Bowl record for sacks is three in a game. Surprises me that's low. And he wants he wants three or four sa- or more sacks in this football game. And I'm with you. I think he's going to be a difference maker because if Oregon can get Wisconsin into Third and longs. And when I say third and longs, it's going to have to be like third and 10, third and 11, third and 12. Right. Because they run the football on third and eight and on third and seven. Like, th- that's a run play for them. That's how much they trust Jonathan Taylor in their run game. Yeah. Um, but if they can get the Badgers into th- these long situations where they have to try and throw the football either to convert a first down or to play catch up because Oregon's got a big game, I, I, I think Kayvon's going to be a beast. And so I almost included him as getting those three sacks, and I'm with you. I think he could he could have a really good game uh, for Oregon. So for, for my fourth one, though, um, I'm going back to the offensive side of the football. Uh, Johnny Johnson's going to win the MVP of the offensive at Rose Bowl. Uh, he's going to have two touchdowns or more in this game, okay. and he's going to go over 120 yards receiving in this football game. I'm thinking, like, he's going to be the go-to target for Herbert, and... He's going to catch all the touchdown passes that Herbert throws, essentially, and he's going to he's going to go over double digits in receptions or, or close to that. He's going to be the you know the clear cut go to guy in this football game uh, for for Oregon's offense at the receiver position. He gets to 172 yards, a <laughs> thousand on the season, and no one saw that coming because he came into the season with like no buzz. Um, that that would be great, and and the way he's played, I mean like. The way he's played the last portion of the season, like it's, a, it's kind of an odd season for him because he started off really hot with that you know big game against Auburn. He had a big game against Nevada, and then he had a pretty quiet middle portion of the season before 89 yards against Arizona, 207 and two touchdowns against Arizona State. He had the touchdown against Oregon State, and then uh, six for 87 and a score against Utah. Like he has all the momentum, and I, I like that pick in terms of him being pivotal in the passing game. My fifth one here, I think Oregon is going to win on a go-ahead scoring drive in the final four minutes of the game. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a tie game late in the game. And I think Oregon, again, like you said, it's in Hollywood. I think the ending is going to be, uh, you know, the game's going to be in doubt late, and Oregon is going to go and score a touchdown. And then after that, the defense will buckle down and hold Wisconsin off the scoreboard. I think it's going to be kind of like the last Rose Bowl win, or I should say the second to last one, the one they had over Wisconsin and Russell Wilson earlier this decade. It's going to be a game where it's at the end of the game and there's going to be some real theatrics and heroics with Oregon mustering a scoring drive and Justin Herbert throwing a touchdown pass to. I didn't say a name on this on the sheet here, but maybe Johnny Johnson's a good one to pick. Um, but I think, I think Oregon's going to win late and it's going to be exciting. I think Oregon, for my fifth bold prediction, uh, Oregon trails by two scores in the first quarter. Like, okay. I, and I'm, I'm banking on the fact that like Oregon wins, they defer. Wisconsin marches right down the field, scores a touchdown. Oregon's first drive goes three and out or, or stalls pretty quickly. Right. And the Badgers get the ball, and they go down the field, and they kick a field goal. And so they're up 10 nothing, you know, 
six, you know, six or seven minutes into uh, the, the first quarter of that game. But, but I think the parlay into my prediction, I think Oregon comes from behind and wins this one in, in pretty exciting and, and pretty impressive fashion. I'm not like you. You're picking a closed game that's decided in the final four minutes of that football game. I'm the opposite. I think in the fourth quarter, it's going to be Oregon milking the clock, shrinking the game, and walking off that football field with a three-score win. Uh, I'm, I'm going big. I think, I think Oregon wins this game uh, in really darn impressive fashion. And we're talking, should this team have been in the college football playoff had they not played Auburn and played Northwest Florida State College instead of Auburn in that week one game? And could they have maybe given uh, LSU a, a tougher run than Oklahoma? Now, I don't think Oregon could have beaten LSU. Yeah. But I'm in belief that this is a playoff team. And I think we're going to see that uh, in this game on the Rose Bowl. And so I'm, I'm calling it Oregon 38, Wisconsin 20, uh, in a game in which in the second, third, and fourth quarters, Oregon just looks amazing and plays really, really good football. Yeah, I, I have, I kind of took, I gave the scenario how I think it's going to play out late. I think Oregon, I think it's tied at 27, final four minutes of the game. Oregon scores a touchdown, goes ahead 34-27. Wisconsin's unable to, to, you know, rally and tie the game in Oregon. Walks off the field with the win and completes again, like I like I said earlier on the podcast, a season that you just look through the you know the, the history of the program will go down if this plays out this way as one of the three or four best seasons in program history. Um, you know, there it's not very often you win a Rose Bowl. It's not very often you win a conference. You know, in terms of what Oregon has done historically, and it's not very frequently that they've you know that that, that there's been this kind of turn of turnaround from a program perspective. Of you know, we're just a couple of years removed from. You know, a four four win season, and then a you know, coaching change, and then that coach takes off, and then they replace him with a guy that was already on the staff, and that at the time wasn't a super popular choice from fans, you know, and, and people uh, were, were hoping they'd go after this name or that name. And I think I think it's one of those things that if this plays out this way, and even if it doesn't, but like I almost feel like it's kind of overlooked by a lot of people, just how special and kind of cool this story is of like. Oregon was really down for the count. A lot of people questioned how quickly they could turn it around, but they have answered the call. And it's been some, it's been, it has not been kind of the, oh, you go out and you get the the hot young coordinator from the big school. It's been, you promote a guy who had some head coaching experience that wasn't particularly successful, who's an offensive line coach. It's not, you know, it's not a sexy position, but they, the way that Cristobal has been able to turn this thing around and, and just being able to play in this game and possibly win this game. Um, I think really it's it's a pretty cool story um, it, it, just in terms of how this has come around because again I think a couple years ago after that four win season you know in Helfrich's last season there's a lot of people going like Oregon's going to be down for a long time but the way they've turned it around and, and really you look at the way the conference is set up for the next couple of years I think Oregon's in position to continue being the top team in the Pac-12 North and, and continuing to play for Rose Bowl appearances and, and maybe national championship kind of appearances going forward yeah that's Real quick, like Oregon wins this game. Yeah, we'll talk next year. What What's your outlook of this team next season? Like, do you feel like they're the perceived favorites to win the Pac-12? I think the Pac-12 North because I just looked through that division now. Easton's already said he's going pro from Washington. Gordon's gone at Washington State. Stanford, like everyone's, no one's on that. No team. one's at Stanford. They're gonna, they're gonna have a hard time fielding 22 players for you know. We're gonna say has to replace a new starting Oregon quarterback. Has to replace a quarterback. Like the only guy back is Garbers at Cal, and like I think Oregon wins the North. I think the question in the South is like. 
is USC going to be good enough? I don't think so. Arizona State might be honestly like the big team with Jaden Daniels, and they're bringing in, it looks like a pretty good uh, recruiting class with all that wide receiver talent. They're going to take like 14 wide receivers because <laughs> who, needs, who needs offensive The Willie line? Taggart effect. <laughs> yeah, the Willie Taggart approach. Um, I, I just look at it right now objectively, and like, and of course there's a ton of that can happen in the next like seven months before we actually start looking at next year seriously, but like, I think Oregon will be the favorite going yeah. into next year. I think they proved this year they're the best team in the conference. Utah loses a ton, we should mention. Yeah. Um, they kind of go back. I think to winning this game is important, though. Like, I, like if they lose this game, I think they're still probably going to be the favorite. But it's going to be a lot like how basketball was for the men's side, where yeah. Oregon was voted preseason favorite, but uh, Colorado was like one point behind them. Uh, in, in the preseason rankings, like I think that would play out similar. Where some other team, maybe it's Arizona State, I think know, it will be. Where they're very, very close to Oregon because of all the guys that they lose. But if Oregon can come out and win this game, I look. We've said it before on here. We've said it on this show even that I think a win sets this team up for a run in which they'll probably be a top ten team next year. Even though the guys that they lose, probably eight or nine. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it just it just feels like a program shifting win if they can get it to this you know on Wednesday. And I think one thing is like in terms of what the projection is, a lot of that's gonna be come down to what the starting quarterback battle looks like through spring right and then into summer because if like say Shuck doesn't look very good in the spring game and there's some questions about his capabilities this game is so dependent upon quarterback play and if there are legitimate questions about who who replaces Herbert, which obviously there will be, um, but if no one steps up and takes that position, I think that's where maybe there becomes some doubt about like this team's ability to do it. But like I also go look this defense, barring not you know a ton of people leaving, et cetera, et cetera. Like I think they're going to be good enough to keep Oregon in games next year, even if they're only able to score like two or three touchdowns. Yeah, that's the thing is the defense could be straight up nasty um, next season, even with the departure of a Troy Dye and a Lamar Winston and a Gus Cumberlander and a Bryce Young. If guys come back that can, right? You know, and some of these recruits that are coming in are as talented as they are, and some of the guys waiting in the wings have the progressions that they've had. This group is going to be straight up nasty defensively and can carry the offense until they get things figured out there. So, long ways to go for that discussion. Uh, stick with us on DuckTerritory.com uh, leading up to Wednesday afternoon's game. Kickoff is officially set in the game uh, pregame book. Here that we have that media day, media day, excuse me, for 2:10 p.m. Uh, it's a late one. ESPN on the call as always. Kirk Herbstreit, Chris Fowler, Maria Taylor, Tom Rinaldi on the sidelines. Jerry Allen, uh, Mike Jorgensen, uh, Joey Mack, and Terry Johns are on the IMG Oregon broadcast on the radio. Stick with us, Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Prem, for your Duck football coverage leading up to, during, and after the 106th Rose Bowl game. Adios, amigos. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.